So some people say, you're still in Revelation? <laughs> and I say, yeah, I can't believe it either. Uh, when I started this series on Revelation, um, I had no idea how long it would go. There's been some breaks for things like Mother's Day and Father's Day and Easter and a few things like that. But uh, I look back at how long we've been, been studying in Revelation. And finally, I'm getting to the chip books that I really wanted to get to starting to chapter 19. We're not there yet today, but we're getting close. Man, we've heard nothing but so much judgments and sin and uh, antichrist and false prophet and the, the beast, the dragon, the devil himself. And, and it's kind of winding down in the book. But even as we finish the book, I do want to continue to remind us that this is all prophetically for the future. You know, when we finish the book we should have a better understanding of what's coming, what God's plan is, what His intentions are. As biblical Christians, we say we believe that the Bible is true, it's the Word of God. Now, we're, we're kind of a minority when we say that. Some people think we're foolish when we say that. But if we get away from the biblical truths, it's really not true Christianity. And this, this chapter 17 and 18 that we're going to be looking at um, is all about, and, it, and it's not chronological. I want you to remember that. This is not chronological again in chapter 17. We are finishing up with the, the seven vials of judgment, and now we're kind of getting an overview again. And we're going to be looking at that in just a second. But one of the things that, that I've been looking at a lot as we've been going through Revelation, it draws my attention to things going on in world events. And this week, especially as I was looking in chapter 17, talking about the false worldwide religion. One world religion. As I was reading different articles, <clears throat> it caused you to think about how can this happen? What's going on in the world? Where are we at as a world, a culture? Where are we at as Americans? And I'm going to just put up a couple slides that uh, I just want to show them to you. That's why I'm going to put them up there. Um, we were in Sioux Falls a few weeks ago, Cindy and I. And if you're familiar with Sioux Falls, Minnesota Avenue is a pretty busy street. And then 41st Street is a really busy street. And that intersection where they meet is one of the busiest intersections of all of Sioux Falls. So we're driving and we're at the stoplight and they go, Cindy, look at that billboard. Go ahead and put that one up, would you? I said, look at that billboard. Take a picture. And the reason it's not so clear is we took it through the windshield. And as we're sitting there, I'm reading this and, and the sign on the side, you see the picture of what, I guess, I don't know what they think because they don't believe there's a God, right? So I'm not sure what he's a picture of. But I think it's supposed to tell us that it's God, and then there's the circle with the line through it, there is no God. And then it says, there is no God, there is no devil, there is no heaven, there is no hell, there is no proof of the supernatural, so prayer doesn't work. You're on your own. We are on our own. And immediately I felt sick to my stomach. Not because they don't have the right to put up that sign. I mean, they have every right to put up any sign they want. But I thought, what a hopeless message that is. We're on our own, if this is all there is. And then I thought, like I usually do when I'm talking about an atheist, I, I think, why are you so angry about us that want to worship God? If you don't believe a God, you should just pity us because we're being so deceived. But why are you so angry? What are you promoting? They would never acknowledge this, but atheism is a religion. And a matter of fact, in the world today, it's the third most populous religion in the world behind Christianity, Islam, then it's the atheists. Isn't that amazing? 
over 1.2 billion atheists. Approximately 2.4 Christians. 2.4 billion. And as I think about that, it's like for every two Christians, there's an atheist. The good news is we got them outnumbered. The bad news is just which one's shrinking and which one's growing. Our spiritual condition in the world today. What's happening? And as we talk about a one-world religion, I sometimes say, how are we going to all come to this place where there's agreement that there could ever be a one-world religion? And you're either going to sign on to that one-world religion or they're going to kill you. And then I often think about, one of the things I've come across is um, articles about, you know, nowadays it's the computer chip. You know, we talk about the sign of the beast, the 666 thing. You know, what is it going to be? Back, when, back before the technology, we figured it would be a tattoo. Some of us old people, we're going to get a tattoo. So I guess it's going to be in style for all of us eventually if it's a tattoo. But now with technology, it's a computer chip. And part of me always thinks this way. Well, if, if we know what the Bible says, and if you take the sign of the beast, what kind of fool would take the sign? Why would we do that? And then you think about technology and convenience. Go ahead and put up slide two, would you, Leah? It's up there already? You jumped the gun. Good job. This is a picture of what they're putting in people's hands, about right in here, in Sweden. Sweden is leading the charge to becoming a cashless country. So far, there's been about 4,000 Swedes that put this chip in their hand because it's convenient. They get to the office, they just put their hand down, reads the chip, the door's unlocked in their home. So far, the technology's there, but so far they're not using it to pay their bills and buy their groceries and do all those things. It's all there. The good news, bad news is there's some concern about this amongst the people that are putting the chips. But you know what the concern is? It has nothing to do with the Bible. You can probably guess if you think about it. Security. Security, the capacity and the capabilities are there to do all their banking, everything else, through that little chip that they put under your skin. And they're concerned so far as we want to make sure it's secure. But convenience so far is overriding the issue of security. Now go back to Scripture and think in your mind there will be no buying and there will be no selling without the mark of the beast. What's it going to take to resist? You can't buy any gas for your car. You can't pay your bill to keep your cell phone. You can't go to the grocery store and buy any food. You can't buy or sell anything. And I'm thinking, man, this could easily happen. When I think of the religions... Can you imagine a one-world religion? Can you imagine how it's going to happen? As I said, Christians, there's about 2.4 billion, and I'm not sure how they define Christian. Islam is about 1.8. Atheists, as I said, 1.2. Then the Hindus, 1.1. Then the Chinese religions, Taoism and others, and, and then Buddhism, and then the list goes down. And they all believe all these different things. I mean, you can't hardly get two, three Christians in a room and get three Christians to agree on everything. But the Bible says there's going to come a day when there's going to be a one-world religion. It's like, how in the world can that happen? 
What's it going to look like? And my goal today is a little bit different, twofold. We will look at chapter 17 some, but I want to just share some thoughts and some information about what's already taking place if our eyes are open. You know, the Word of God speaks prophetically so that we're made aware. And it's so easy because it comes on usually so subtly that we don't even notice the changes. Can there possibly be a one-world religion? When we get to chapter 17 and 18 in just a few moments, we're going to see it can be, a matter of fact, those that study the Scriptures consider these two of the hardest chapters in Revelation to really interpret and understand. But one of the things that I think really helps if you're reading chapter 17 and 18 is just remember this. There are two different aspects of Babylon being mentioned. In chapter 17, we're dealing with religious, spiritual Babylon. Chapter 18, it's dealing with political and commercial Babylon. They're the same because Babylon is much more than a city. It's a system. The Babylonian system that's uh, taking place. So if you just remember that much, it'll help clear up some of the confusion. But I don't pretend to have all of the correct interpretations and understanding of chapter 17 and 18. But we're going to look at a little bit of it. The, um, when we go through it, you'll see that Boy, I'm going to say some things today that just are not politically correct, okay? There will come a time, I believe, if you said what I'm going to say today, the pastor would get arrested and the doors would get shut. But it's truth. And we need to be able to understand and stand on truth when those days come because it's, we're so easily deceived. So when I'm looking at a couple things in this, you're going to see when it talks about the religious system, a lot of people think there is a particular city that's going to be the world center of the religious system, and that's Rome. They consider it to be Rome. At the time of John's writing of this, when he had this vision, Rome was the world power. It was really the center of everything. We see in the scriptures there's going to be a, a coming together of some of the old Roman Empire. We see all these things. So Rome seems to be significant, and most all of us know that the Roman church, the Catholic church, has always been a church of religion and spirituality, but also an aspect of political power. Always has been, still is today. So there are some people, I just, I'm saying this so you're aware, and some of you are really aware of this, there are some people that look at all of this and point right at the Catholic Church and say, there's the one world religion, there's where it's going to come from. While there are some things that might point that direction, it is so bigger than any one religion. It's not going to be any one religion that we all agree upon. It's going to be different. It's bigger than that, way bigger than that. And the second city is Babylon. And this, again, is where it can get confusing. You know, Babylon was an ancient city. About 23 B.C. is when that city was built. It goes back in our Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 11, 10 and 11. Most of us have heard the story about the Tower of Babel. That was Babylon at its foundation. A guy named Nimrod decided we're going to establish a city there and we're, we're going to build a tower to the gods. The Babylon, the word Babel in the, it means gateway to the gods. A very humanistic, obviously contrary to all that God intended. And so he did what? He 
messed with the languages at that time. They all spoke the same language. Scripture even says, I've got to do something about this because they're all on one page. They can accomplish anything they want to accomplish. So he mixed it up. So there's the city of ancient Babylon, and then there is many who believe that Babylon is going to be rebuilt. So that in end times, the rebuilt Babylon is going to be the political power of the world. That is going to be the Antichrist's home base. His secondary base, once we get about halfway through the seven years of tribulation, his secondary base is going to be Jerusalem. Because he's going to declare himself to be God and he's going to demand that all people worship him and he's going to enter the temple. So there's two cities. And then to confuse it, there's the Babylonian system. But those two cities, put up the, the slide if you haven't of, of ancient Babylon ruins. See in the foreground there? Ancient Babylonian ruins. See in the background? That's not ruins. And you may have seen in the news, and I, I was going to put some more pictures up there, but remember a person by the name of Saddam Hussein? He thought he was the next Nebuchadnezzar who was the powerful leader of Babylon, so he started to rebuild way back in the 80s, ancient Babylon. And of course, those that study Revelation were like, oh boy, here we go. And it may have been, oh boy, here we go. But Saddam Hussein was eliminated. And he built palaces, one of his palaces, if you watch the news, if you're old enough to remember some of those details, you know, when our troops and the Polish troops went into this ancient Babylon and they took over his one palace. And Babylon is located about 55, 60 miles southwest of Baghdad. That's where it's at. So very, very, very possible that it's going to be a rebuilt city on ancient Babylon. How is this going to take place? I'm going to back up one more time to Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. You probably or hopefully remember a little bit about this verse. It was when the first seal was being opened. Anybody remember what the first seal was? Go ahead. Shout it out. A rider on a white horse. And the rider on that white horse held a bow in his hand. But conspicuously absent, there was no arrows. And it says he went out to conquer and conquer. And that would be the Antichrist coming as the bringer of peace. The world's in turmoil. The Middle East is in turmoil. And here comes this charismatic leader on the scene with plans and, and, and methods and how we're going to bring, bring peace to the Middle East and to the world. And basically, the world is such a mess, they believe him. And peace starts to come. And a religion is established. The false prophet comes on the scene. His goal, of course, was to make the Antichrist look good, but it also was to bring the masses together. And this one world religion is established in the first three and a half years of the seven years of tribulation. And it started with peace, peace, peace. And then halfway through Revelation, or the tribulation, the Antichrist true colors show. And he wipes out the one world religion. There's a war takes place 
And he declares himself God. And then he enters the temple and demands worship. And if you're not taking the sign of the beast and worshiping the image of the beast, you're killed. But it started with peace. And when we get into chapter 17 now, what we're going to see is God handling and dealing with this one world religion. And once again, what's so interesting to me is how God utilizes and uses evil forces to judge other evil. And in chapter 17, he actually uses the Antichrist and his allies to eliminate and judge this false one-world religion. So how can a one-world religion happen? Can it happen? Is it possible to happen? The reality is Jesus warned about this way back in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 13, there's a series of parables. In there, you can see he's making some insinuations towards the end times. But we also see that Paul and Peter get very explicit in 1 Timothy 4, chapter 1. It says this, or verse 1, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, passing, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. He's warning in the end days there is going to become or going to come this force, this deceiving force that's going to cause people to buy into all these false doctrines. Second Timothy, Paul wrote in verse three, or chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived going to be a time of deception. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 2, false prophets arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. They will be judged. So from biblical times, there's been warnings that this is what's going to happen. And I may be the only one that thinks this way, but I just look at the world and I say, how can this possibly happen? There are hundreds of religions. You know, top ten religions take up most of the population of the world. How are they ever going to come together? Anybody think that way? If not, boy, you're going to be bored with the next few minutes. But... I think that way. And I believe it's already happening. And I think that's one of my goals is we need to be watchful. We need to be paying attention. It's not going to come at you like a devil. And the lies being so obvious that anybody could see them. It's going to be subtle. It's going to be very ecumenical. You familiar with that term? Ecumenical. Balatin, the Three or four times a year we have what are called ecumenical services. The two Lutheran churches come together with the Methodist church and us and we have an ecumenical service. Does that make it evil? No, it doesn't make it evil. But it's what can happen in ecumenicalism that's really dangerous. I'm going to put some terms up here on the, on the screen that you're going to just want to forget. But I think if you look at what it means, you could say, I think some things are happening right now. Electicism. 
This is a philosophy of religion that refuses to accept any one system of doctrine, but seeks to take the so-called best from all belief systems. Yeah, there's a lot of belief systems out there, but nobody's got all the truth. Let's just pick the best from each one and put them all together in this hodgepodge and call it something. A new religion. Outwardly, eclectics seem to be fair to everybody. They want to pay attention to everybody. They don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Then there's what's called latitudinarianism. How do you like that word? Latitudinarianism. Look what it is. A system of religion that cares very little about creeds and doctrines. In this system, sincerity is the important thing, not what is believed. They're so sincere. They're more sincere about what they believe than we're sincere about what we believe. Let's not get hung up on your doctrines and your creeds and all that stuff. That, what do you believe in? Oh, you're so sincere. I hear this from people. They're so sincere. But they're wrong. They're wrong. When you look at this type of system, um, it opens the door for everything. Anything. And the third one I have up there is syncretism. This one takes and wants to unite all opposing theologies and philosophical positions by arriving at a common denominator or coming to a new synthesis. In other words, we're going to look at all the religions, just make a list and see all the things about them. And let's go through the list then. And whatever we have in common, let's put them over here in our new religion. Let's not be so intolerant of other faiths. We all worship the same God. There's just many ways to Him. It sounds good to some people. But it's a lie from the pit of hell. And it's going to really manifest in its fullness in the tribulation. The problem we would, should have as biblical Christians is and this is, now I'm really going to be politically incorrect. Christianity is very exclusive. We're very exclusive. They're right when they say that about Christians. We're an exclusive group. While there can be some truths, and usually there are in other religions, only biblical Christianity has the truth in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Scriptures. Now that makes us an exclusive religion. And I get that. And we say, well, how in the world can Christian religions ever embrace some of this other stuff? Let me just read something to you. And I, w I thought about how do I try to hide who's saying these words, but I couldn't come up with a good way. So if I offend you, I apologize in advance. But I'm quoting the speaker. When it comes to one world religion, in addressing a prayer gathering of Christians, Muslims, Jews, and Buddhists, and others, Pope John Paul II told participants that their efforts were unleashing profound spiritual energies in the world and bringing about a new climate of peace. That's a quote. The Pope then pledged, quote, the Catholic Church intends to share in and promote such ecumenical and interreligious cooperation. I mean, when he said this, people's, ears stood up and like what in the world 
is he saying? The Catholic Review magazine followed up his speech at that prayer gathering and they commented on it and here's what they said. The unity of religion promoted by the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, and approved by His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, is not a goal to be achieved immediately, but a day may come when the love and compassion which both Buddha and Christ preached so eloquently will unite the world in a common effort to save humanity from senseless destruction and lead toward the light in which we all believe. To me, that's just mind-boggling. That was back in 86. And I'm not putting this onus on any one religion because in the end times, guess what? All the religions are going to compromise or be killed and it's going to be a one-world religion. There are going to be, and we're hearing more and more voices like that in the world today. Let's all just get along. And this is going to be a demonic religion and it's going to come to the head in the tribulation. I want to read a couple of scriptures. So if you're already upset with me, you got nothing to lose. But I can't go wrong quoting Jesus, right? In John 14, 6, Jesus said this, I am the way I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Talk about exclusive. Jesus is making a very clear, concise claim. If we are biblical Christians and we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, there is only one way to God the Father. It's through Jesus Christ his son. If you don't believe the Bible, then none of that matters. Acts 4, Peter writes these words, let it be known to all of you, and he is being confronted by all of the religious leaders of the day. And he says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, by this man stands here, he had healed, they'd healed somebody, and he says, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which under heaven, which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. The world hates this. The world hates a commitment to truth, absolute truth, from the Word of God. They would call us bigots, intolerant, etc., etc., etc. And frankly, to an extent, not what they, the way they mean it, but we, we are very exclusive if we believe what the Bible says. And you'll hear things like, have you ever, ever heard anything like this? You mean to say that you think all those good people that are Muslims or Buddhists or Hindus are going to go to hell? Does it intimidate you when you get asked that question? It's hard to then speak the truth, isn't it? The answer is easy. What's the answer? Yes. 
if we believe what the Bible says. Does that sound judgmental? It can be taken that way. But the reality is, if we're walking in the kind of love that Christ has called us to walk in, we should take these things as opportunities and motivations to share the love of Jesus Christ with people. It's not our job to judge them. Our job is to share the truth in love. And that's one of the reasons that Christianity has gotten such a bad name is we forgot the love part. We just beat them over the head with the truth and tell them they're going to hell. And we forget about talking about the redemption power of Jesus Christ. And God's desire is that none should perish, that all would go on to eternal life. That's his goal. You know, we come, God's going to send them to hell? No, I've said this before many times. God doesn't send anybody to hell. They choose to go there by rejecting the truth. We're going to see why all of these claims to be so all-embracing in this one-world church, they're going to embrace everybody but Christians. Christians are to be martyred and killed. Okay, believe it or not, we're actually going to get to 17. <laughs> but I'm not going to put all the scriptures on there on the screen, so you either have to just listen or open your own Bibles. In chapter 17, it says this, starting in verse 1. And one of the seven angels who had been the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come, I shall show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, and with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the wilderness. Into a wilderness I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold, precious stones, pearls, having in her hand a cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead the names were written, mystery, were written a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of all harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drink with the blood, drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. Anybody confused? I just want to touch on some of the things as you read this, and I really want to encourage you to read these chapters. The great harlot is the religious Babylon. This great har harlot, she's, it's called a whore. She is a whore. She is prostituting the religion, the pure religion, the truth of religion. She's the whore, the great whore, the great harlot. It's religious Babylon. And it says she sits upon many waters. And if you remember through this in the, in the study of Revelation, that phrase usually is representative of many nations. And in this case, the whole world. So this, this great harlot, this religious Babylon, is going to cover the world. Some people say, where's the United States in all this? My answer is, I don't know. But some people believe this is where the United States gets sucked in. The one world religion. This, the great harlot. Greater than any one church, as I said before. It said it's infect, it, her effect is intoxicating to the leaders of the world. To the kings of the world. They are seduced by this religious, this false religious system. And it says she's sitting on a scarlet beast. What this really implies is this false religious system, the beast that it's sitting upon is the Antichrist. It's separate from the Antichrist, but he is the one giving it all of this power and authority sitting upon the Antichrist. Then it goes into that explanation of all the jewels and the, the garments and the scarlet. And people put significance to all those things, and I'm sure there is.
but it, it gives you this picture of this amazing-looking woman. And the woman, again, is the religious system. But then it says she's a prostitute. She's false. She's phony. It's not based on truth. It's filled with air. It's an abomination. Drunk with the blood of the saints. That's the persecution of Christians. Those who do not take the mark of the beast and will not bow and worship the image of the beast, they're going to be killed. And this religious system thrives on it. And if you study history a little bit, and this gets thrown at Christians, they talk about all the wars and all the people that quote-unquote Christians have killed. Well, the key is defining real Christians, but they're right. Christians have killed more Christians than just about anything else in the life of the earth. Um, how many of you have ever heard of Bloody Mary, not the drink? Okay, Bloody Mary, Queen Mary, Queen of England in the 1550s. She was burning Christians at the stake. Why? Because she was Catholic and they were Protestants. And if they would re not, not renounce the Protestantism, they, if they would not renounce it, they were burned at the stake. She burned over 250 people at the stake. There was one that, that she burned at the stake. His name was Thomas Cranmer. She went to him and he gave him the opportunity to recant of his Protestantism. He says, you recant of what you have said and you come back to Catholicism and you're okay. And he did. Until the day of his last sermon. He recanted his recant. And he declared, I know I will be burned in the fire and I'm going to put my right hand in the fire first because my right hand signed that recantation. And that's exactly what happened. He stood in there with the, the, the wood all around him, the fire is lit and the flames start coming and he sticks his right hand in the fire and then the whole body is consumed. This is Christians, quote unquote, doing this to Christians. And he was one of just many. And it continues on in Revelation chapter 17, talking about the different empires and the different things that we have talked about. And I'm not going to go through it all except to say this. <coughs> there is going to be a new conglomeration of the Roman Empire. And we see explicitly it talks about a ten-nation one and ten kings. And they're ultimately going to do the bidding of the Antichrist. And that this this group of ten kings are going to come and they're actually going to come and they're going to war against the religious system. At the three and a half year mark of tribulation is religion, I don't care what it was, if you're not going to worship me, the Antichrist, we're going to destroy you. And that's what took place. But it's interesting to me that <clears throat> way back in, I forget the year exactly, I think I might have it here, 1957, this was the first time that a group of six European countries got together and they formed what was then called the European Economic Community. 1957. They signed a treaty. Interestingly enough, you know what the treaty is called? Of course you don't. The Treaty of Rome. Forming this union, dealing with at the time the, the coal and other natural resources and this powerful economic thing. It has grown since then into what we know as the European Union. And now there's like 28 or 29 countries in there. And eventually it's going to become 10 if you believe what the Word of God says. Things are taking place around the world all the time, setting the stage for what the book of Revelation declares is going to happen. 
I want to just go ahead and close with a scripture from 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come, the day of the Lord, is what's being talked about, until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. This is the Antichrist that's being prophesied by about. The Antichrist comes on the scene as this false religion for the first three and a half years of tribulation. Peace, 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 and everybody's buying into it. The midpoint of Revelation, he says, no, you know what, I'm God. You're not. He reveals his true colors are revealed. They destroy this false one world religion and you either bow down and worship the beast, the, the Antichrist, or you're killed. Prophesied to the T in Second Thessalonians. He destroys religious Babylon and all that remains is the political, economic Babylon. And if you, go, if you go ahead and read chapter 18 now, you'll see what happens to re the economic and commercial Babylon. The false religion's been dealt with in chapter 17. It's overview with more details than we've heard before. In chapter 18, the political and economic. And you know what it really, in my mind, points out? False religion, 17, and the power of money and materialism and greed. This is what you'll see when you read chapter 18. When all of Babylon comes tumbling down, all they're worried about is our income's gone. Our riches are gone. Our wealth is gone. Fancy homes, they don't matter. Big bank accounts, they don't matter. Everything is gone. They use language more attuned to the times. The sea merchants are in distress because the trade centers are destroyed. And it's all about greed. Materialism, is that a problem today? Is it getting bigger and bigger and bigger? The compromise in religion, the spirit of greed and materialism, it's all part of this setup for the return of Jesus Christ. God allowed the Antichrist and his ten con nation confederation to come and destroy and bring judgment on the false religion. He himself is going to come and bring judgment on the Antichrist and the whole political and economic world that will exist. What do you do with all this stuff? I don't know. What do you want to do with it? For me personally, as I'm going through this, I'm thinking, what, am I, what, am I, what do I hope you walk away with? Because I know a lot of what I said may not interest you. A lot of it will go right past you. You'll forget it. But here's what I want us to walk away with. We are called to be watchful, to be looking for the return of Christ. And all these things are signs of what's coming. I don't know if it's coming tomorrow or 10 years from now or 100 years from now. I don't think it's going to wait that long, but I don't know. But we are to be alert because as a church of Jesus Christ, we are called to stand in truth 
and in the love of Christ. And everything that's out there in our culture and our world around us is going to cause us to be, cause people to compromise. We want to be, we want to be fitting in. We want to be popular. We want to be this, that. We are going to be despised as we stand for Christ. Now, don't get confused. That's not a goal, okay? Standing for Christ is a goal. Being despised isn't. Walking in love, standing in the truth. Let's close in prayer. Father, I praise you and thank you for your word, which gives us this information. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to give us revelation of what all this information means or may mean. But Lord, I pray that you would not distract us from the mandate that you have for us to go into all the world and make disciples and share the good news of Jesus Christ, to be your hands and feet, to love people. Father God, you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die in our place. You demonstrated love towards us when we didn't deserve it. Father, I pray that by your Spirit we would demonstrate that kind of love, your love for people, no matter who they are, no matter where they're at in their walk of life that we would be able to share the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, that we would be able to share with others what you've done in our lives, Father, and that we would be able to stand faithfully on the truth of your word. Father, we pray all these things that you'd be glorified in every bit of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.